Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Coming up on this Monday edition of Trumpet Radio Live, some headlines to take a look at, including also what's coming up on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today. Top story at thetrumpet.com has to do with the debt and finances. Uh, it's amazing how much debt the U.S. has. So we're going to take uh, some time and look at uh, finances, both national and personal today. Should be some good and hopefully helpful information. That and more in this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm, and if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcg.fm. Any emails you'd like to send, send those along to comments at kpcg.fm. Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon with you here today on this Monday. Beautiful day here in Oklahoma City. Uh, area, a little bit windy, but uh, that's par for the course in Oklahoma. Beautiful weekend, beautiful weather. And, uh, Grant, you went down to the uh, Robbers Cave camp out down in, uh, well, what what part of Oklahoma is that exactly? That's Well, it's near McAllister and Wilburton and Quinton, a lot of really small towns down there. Tiny towns down there. Southeast and, Oklahoma. Yeah, that's the annual uh, camp out that uh, the college students and faculty have here at Herbert W. Armstrong College, where we're broadcasting from. Uh, how was it? What's the review? What, what happened? Well, I took my brother down just an hour after we... We're both on the radio on Friday. Uh, had a nice, relaxing drive, and then got there about exactly at four, pretty much, and then pretty much just got to enjoy being out among the trees and around all the water. And it was just really relaxing and refreshing. There was a dance. Uh, we yesterday morning we spent the whole morning playing softball, frisbee, and soccer. Uh, sat around the campfire a lot. So just a lot of really. Uh, enriching uh, bonding type activities. Yeah, it's interesting how I think back in the day before all the modern conveniences and technologies and or if you go camping, uh, a lot of people, you do spend a lot of time around a fire. It's nice. It's comfortable. It's warm. It's You can look at it and uh, you end up having conversation. That's, that's one of the nicer, nicer events, I think. Right. My wife and daughter went down on Thursday. It actually lasted from Thursday through Monday. I only got to go for the weekend, uh, but uh, Loma was sitting at the, at the fire and just staring at it. She loved it. She's eight, eight months old now and just didn't understand what was going on there so she just had to look and then make some comments once in a while <laughs> <laughs> the, the fire is never boring you never get bored looking at the fire it's no just, it just it just flickers it moves in unpredictable ways yeah it's amazing and then you think well, if i was in there right now i'd be burning alive <laughs> i don't want to be in there but uh so that sounds like a lot of fun there's uh on the trumpet uh daily radio show today there's a, a segment at the end, about 10 minutes or so, of some of the sounds of the their camp out that they had there in England in the Lakes District. And so you get to hear some of that, including the uh, crackling of the fire. 
so you get to hear it there as well. Maybe you could just do it for us real quick. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Make the sounds of the fire for us. Uh, what you know when you're heading down there? I've been down once, uh, and I remember there just being very sparse as far as population and so forth. What's the last sign of civilization in terms of like if I don't stop at this Starbucks, I won't see one again for you know or or rest? Or, do you remember? Was there one thing where you're like, if I don't stop at this, that's it? Well, there was one tiny town i think it was it might have been quentin that's literally like 20 buildings maybe and uh even even like 20 minutes before that uh you see the last cell phone tower so it's 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 pretty much way out there uh, and and you know that you better stop pretty soon although you know that's that's only really about 12 miles from robber's cave so mm-hmm. it's not like it's not like we're hours away from anything yeah there's a couple of routes that i'll go say if i go down to dallas or something and it's that's a pretty sparse between dallas and certain parts of getting closer to oklahoma city and there are a couple places where you're like oh if i don't stop there that's it so you got to tell the kids like this is it you want this because this is it (laughs) (laughs) we're not going to see anything for a while it's pretty it's pretty funny because uh the lady who runs the campsite she actually lives at uh, like the group camp oh that we stay at every year uh within the state park and her home has like the direct tv uh, and dish satellites so she's got the entertainment system that you could only dream of <laughs> yeah even though she's out in the middle of a, a state park with not much else developed around her she at least gets all the tv channels yeah that would be a really interesting job uh in some ways it could be a lot of fun to like say run a campsite but in other ways you probably get some interesting folks show up where sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know about this. <laughs> She's constantly living around strangers, which a lot of us do, but it's like a rotating group of strangers because it's just whoever occupies that group camp at, this, at that time. Yeah, we, I remember uh, actually my wife and I took a trip years ago out to the coast, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina border area. And uh, we, we were walking around, I think it was near Myrtle Beach, and uh, they, they had this sort of wooded campground area. And so we thought, well, let's we'll take a walk through there. And and it was a little unnerving. It was pretty off the off the grid, you know. And you'd kind of look, and people are looking out of their tents, like, "What are you? What are you looking at?" <laughs> and I remember thinking, "Oh, maybe we should go back to the beach," which we did, because <laughs> people that were camping there did not want to be found. Yeah, it's uh, that was something I saw this year that I hadn't seen before. Just a lot of people camping in tents off in the woods at Robert's Cave, the college camp out. Most everyone is in a nice big log cabin, and you have all the facilities there, and you have the big kitchen and dining hall. So it's not, it's not full on hardcore camping. Camping, but a lot of people around us were doing that, and you'll just be walking, and you'll see like a random tent off in the woods somewhere. And uh, I, I got kind of an idea that maybe in the future I would like to go down there and do it that way at some point. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, did you? Uh did you dominate the college students in the athletic endeavors? <laughs> in trash talking, yes. Yeah. I, I, I got in their heads, and I think a lot of them crumbled <laughs> under the pressure. Yeah. They couldn't withstand the, the verbal barrage. Uh, we have a couple of sports notes to start here. Uh, this, uh, this time of year is high school basketball playoffs, and those are always fun to watch. There was one story I heard about yesterday, which was spectacular. It was a high school girls playoff game in uh, New York, I believe. And very close game, and the team that was down by a point or two. This I have a blowout story coming, but this is before the blowout okay. stories. <laughs> uh, but so this this particular game would happen to be very close. It was like a point or two difference, and uh, the team that's down is right towards the end of the game. The girls got two free throws. She misses both of them, but 
as a, as a seconds tick away, she steals the ball, throws it 70 feet back down the cork. She stole it at the other end, swished it, and won the state championship for her team. <laughs> Talk about the highs and lows. Like She totally blew it at the free throw line, then hits a 70-footer to win the game. So I was thinking, you know, for her and her team, that's the the height of excitement. But if you're the other team, you've got to be like, no way. She couldn't make two free throws and she beats us on a 70-footer? <laughs> like, you would be so upset by that. Yeah, that, that should almost disqualify the shot that she made afterward, the fact that she couldn't make either free throw. But, I mean, it is pretty amazing when you see something like that. Obviously, uh, you hate for people to have their hopes die in a in a way as random and cruel as that but at least at least everyone watching got something spectacular and i suppose a losing team can always tell their kids like well look we got beat on a 70 footer at the buzzer so you know we kind of should be the champion so (laughs) well even like the person who got the ball stolen from her probably thought it meant nothing and might not have been as alert to protect the ball as she should have been and then all of a sudden that happened yeah that's amazing this other story here this happens sometimes in in high school sports uh and this was in the playoffs in this uh, particular area in massachusetts High school team apologizes for 93-7 to basketball blowout. You make it to the playoffs, and you lose 93-7. to They might want to check their pairings next, next season a little closer. <laughs> they say, when is victory something you don't take pride in but something you ought to apologize for? For East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, the tipping point was an 86-point victory over Madison Park in the first round of a state sectional girls basketball tournament. Blowouts happen all the time in high school sports, though rarely with a near three-figure point differential. But what prompted East Bridgewater Superintendent of Schools Elizabeth Legault to apologize for the margin of victory was the way in which the East Bridgewater Vikings ran up the lead. They went up 24 to nothing in the first quarter, then continued to push long after the outcome was no longer in doubt. The Vikings kept many of their starters in the game until late, kept up their full-court press into the third quarter, and even tossed daggers like pulling uh, for three-point shots at the end of the third quarter to go up 70-4. to Legault called the game an unfortunate situation and added that this is not a reflection of our student body or our athletic program. And uh, so they were, the, the superintendent was embarrassed by the blowout. You've got to pull back. Put in your put in the backup players. Let them play. If you're up seventy to four and you're full court pressing and shooting threes, come on. <laughs> I mean that that's too much. That is a bit much, uh, but it's also a symptom of the times that the winning team has to apologize. Why why is the losing team not apologizing for an effort like that? I mean, both teams are in high school. They're both the same age. So why couldn't? one team at least be competent and and put up some kind of a fight too yeah it would be interesting to see what i would be interesting just to watch the game and see if it was just a case of being that overmatched or if they kind of quit on the other side because uh, yeah you think you'd put up a little bit of a fight i mean you should be able to get more than what do they get seven points yeah that's really uh horribly pathetic for a team to play that badly so obviously they probably there was a combination of both of them that that they gave up and just weren't good enough but even even like at any level you see people throw the ball up and somehow it goes in i mean you think you could do that more than like three times in a whole game yeah you would think so well anyway it's interesting i when i was uh playing in grade school we had a grade school team and we played other grade schools in the district and uh we were the worst well i don't know if we were the worst we were probably at the bottom 
uh, smaller schools, smaller amount of kids. And, uh, so we, we didn't win very often, but, um, what, what I think we did, or at least I did as a player is I thought, well, okay, I know we're probably not going to win going into this, but I would set personal goals. Like I want to do pretty well. So, cause you kind of have to do something like you can't just quit. Even if you go, you're going in and you know, like, Hey, we have no chance here. You'd have to at least take personal responsibility and say, well, I'm going to at least, I'm going to try to do my best, even if we're not winning this thing. Yeah, and sometimes even you could think that, well, if I do well enough, maybe that'll raise the level of some of my teammates and we could pull something off, which is which is really the hope at the end of it for anyone. I mean, that's why that's why you have like these big March Madness tournaments for college basketball where there's 64, 66, 67 teams in there, yep. and really only like four or five of them have a really good shot of winning, but they're all playing hard and they all know that it's their opportunity to win a national championship. And why would you go into something like that feeling defeated before it even starts? Yeah. Even in those games, even if it's like a, you know, a one versus a 16, now some seed, sometimes it is a blowout, but oftentimes the lead doesn't ex- really start expanding until late first half, then into the second mm-hmm. half. They usually play pretty tight for the first 10 minutes, even though they are outclassed. So anyway, that was quite a blowout there. And, High school basketball. Here's a uh, very inspiring uh, sports note from the New York Post. This time of year, they have the NFL Combine, which they, you know, see how high can you jump, how fast can you run, how strong are you, things like that. One-handed linebacker makes statement with Combine show. Uh, Shaquem Griffin wants to make history. His performance at the NFL Scouting Combine on Saturday was just a taste. The Central Florida linebacker is looking to become the first one-handed player to be drafted into the league in the modern era. He won't know for almost two months whether he will accomplish that goal, but he definitely made teams sit up and uh, take notice with his combine performance. He has a prosthetic attached to his left arm. He did 20 repetitions on the bench press at 225 pounds. He thought he could only do six, and he did 20. And he only has one hand, so he had this prosthetic on. So that's amazing. Yeah, he doesn't even play with that. He just attached it for the bench press. It's it's amazing. I saw him play in that Peach Bowl, was it, I guess, early this year. And his team, Central Florida, went 13-0 and and had a legitimate argument for why, you know, like why weren't, we in the college football playoff of four teams when we were 12 and 0 and none of these other teams were running undefeated like we were so they actually um some of the UCF fans actually put a billboard in Alabama challenging the actual champion Alabama Crimson Tide to a home and home series oh yeah so like you know you play one game in Alabama and then we'll have the home game in central Florida and and see who the real best team is i mean that's how good his team was and they had a real argument for winning the national championship and he was one of those players who was just all over the field uh just making plays that you wouldn't think possible especially for someone who only has one hand and it needs to be able to catch the ball sometimes well and two he's uh, he's a six foot 227 pound defensive man and he you know a lot of times you need your hand to grab a jersey and pull and push and and so not having that is a detriment but he he played amazingly he he had his uh his uh, um uh, left hand i guess it was amputated when he was 4 years old uh because he had a a certain condition where he needed that done so he just he doesn't have the hand there but despite the handicap he was a two-year starter like you mentioned at Central Florida earning two selections to the All-American Athletic Conference first team he also was named AAC defensive player of the year in 2016 he had 92 tackles 11 and a half sacks two forced fumbles and an interception <laughs> with just one hand 
and uh, he, but he, his attitude is amazing. He doesn't, he just wants to play. He said, I don't have to be the guy who just rushes the quarterback. If you need somebody who can cover, and not just tight ends, I can cover slots too. You watch some film, he said. I got a few interceptions against some slot. <laughs> I want to be able to show NFL teams whatever you need help at, I can play it. He says, you want me to play kicker or punter? All I got to do is get some, a good stretch in and warm my foot up. <laughs> he says, I think I can kick the ball too. <laughs> so it's unlikely that he'll be a, a kicker. But it just uh, I think what's neat about it is that he didn't let his handicap slow him down. He really is now excelling at a sport, and uh, but his attitude is so great. He's like, I'll kick. I, what, what do you want me to do? You want a guy like that on your team. He is one of those players who does everything. He'll hit the quarterback. He'll he'll stop the running back for a five-yard loss. Then on the next play, he'll be breaking up a pass to a wide receiver. I mean, he's just really versatile, and now he's even saying he'll play all sides of the ball, which is pretty incredible for anyone to uh, even say that they're willing to do. Yeah. There's a lot of conversation right now about certain players who – Maybe we're quarterbacks in college, but they'd be more suited to be a wide receiver or a running back at the pro level. And analysts are saying, well, these guys should be offended that anyone would even suggest to them that they should play a different position. This guy's actually out here saying that he will play any position before anyone actually asks him to do that. Probably makes the kickers mad. Like, well, it's more than just stretching. You've got to really, you know, <laughs> which, which probably is. This guy is super quick as well. Uh, he... Uh, Makes the NFL Combine history. He ran the fastest linebacker 40-yard dash time since 2003. Uh, 4.38 in the 40-yard dash, if that means anything to people, which uh, I'll just let you know that's really fast. <laughs> uh, it's the fastest time by a linebacker since 2003. It is also the third best time in the Combine field so far. He narrowly behind wide receivers, a couple of wide receivers. So if you're a linebacker and you can almost run as fast as the receivers, people are going to pay attention to you. Yeah, I, I saw his actual run and it's just unbelievable that guy just does it all and like you said it's despite this handicap not having a hand since he was four years old um everything in life is harder when you have to deal with something like that and yet he pushed past it and is a really a great role model for a lot of people too yep just very inspiring story and it shows uh, that you can do a lot even if you, you have something to overcome so pretty amazing there uh for him Here's a story that's uh, sort of surprising. It's about uh, people being scammed uh, from money. More millennials reported losing money to scam in 2017 than senior citizens did. The common thought is that the senior citizens get taken advantage of, which does happen sometimes. But here are the millennials... Uh, they're getting uh, scammed more than the seniors are. Among consumers aged 20 to 29, 40% of those who made fraud complaints to the Federal Trade Commission lost money, compared with just 18% of those who are aged 70 or older, according to an annual report from the federal agency uh, released Thursday. Research has shown that younger consumers might actually be more vulnerable to scams, Although the popular image of a fraud victim is someone who's less educated or older, in fact, the opposite is often true. People between the ages of 25 and 34 were the most likely to lose money to fraud, according to a 2016 study from the Better Business Bureau. And more than half of those who suffered a fraud-related financial loss had a college degree. <laughs> so yeah, they were younger and more educated in, in some ways, maybe, and they thought they were maybe a little... Uh, a bit immune to this, but not so. Part of the problem, they say, especially where young people are concerned, is the so-called optimism bias. Young people assume that others are at a higher risk of fraud than they are, so they take more risks online. So um, the the seniors got uh, something on the uh, millennials when it comes to fraud. Yeah, this is just one of 
uh, many reasons why uh, my millennial generation shouldn't pretend to know more than it actually does. Um, you know, in this society, too often uh, el- the elderly are disrespected, but they have that experience and they have that ability to discern things that might be a threat to them. Um, and when you're younger, a lot of the time, like this says, you are a little bit too optimistic and you might think that, uh, what do they say, like the world is your oyster, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that old term. Uh, so it, you have to still realize that there are threats out there and people are going to take advantage of you. It's not just some idealistic society where everyone's looking out for your best interests. Yeah, they, they say that uh, younger consumers may be less familiar with what a scam looks like which is funny. You'd think they'd be more familiar, but they're not. Older consumers are doing a really good job of recognizing fraud when they encounter it. Uh, they're taking the next step to warn other people about it. But the younger generation's kind of getting uh, sucked into this. And it's just interesting because I think it does highlight, I mean, just the society that we live in where you have to worry about people stealing from you often. Yeah. And uh, we have a great book of the Trumpet.com and the Ten Commandments. And it said... Uh, that uh, think on each commandment, no stealing, no lying, no coveting. If every man, woman, and child obeyed each one in both letter and spiritual intent, our world would be revolutionized. Can we see that no man could ever write such a law? It is a perfect law, which is written about in Psalm 19, verse 7. The Ten Commandments are a perfect combination of do and don't. There is both a positive action and a restrictive self-discipline side to each. You think about that. I mean, if people really did obey those commandments, all ten of them, but specifically no lying, stealing, coveting, um, what what a different world would it be? It would be way different. And uh, like this booklet says, uh, it's it's only ten commandments. It's not tens of thousands of different laws and codes and regulations that always pop up after whatever that infraction is is committed. We write laws in reaction to the way that man finds new ways to do terrible things uh yet the ten commandments covers literally everything wrong that you could ever conceive of or actually do uh i think of the parkland shooting where a lot of people's response has been to change laws and yet the laws in place were already broken and that's why uh the shooting was even possible if people actually kept laws uh society would be a much happier place um, it's it's not really a matter of blaming law when things go wrong. It's blaming people who break them. Yeah, and it's amazing. I had a, a really positive experience with this just last week. Um, somebody keeping the law and saving me all kinds of trouble. Uh, my credit card was left somewhere accidentally. And and I didn't realize it till a day or two later. I thought, oh, where is it? So finally able to track down the, the location I had been at and... Uh, Somebody had found it and turned it in to the to the you know the owner of the establishment, and they were just holding it until I called for it. They could have taken it. They could have go, gone ahead and used it and robbed me, you know, in some way. But they didn't, and so uh, I'm sure they'll be blessed for that because it kept the law, saved me a lot of lot of trouble, a lot of heartache. It's so it's so nice when you finally uh, see things like that that happen. Uh, there are some people who do try to hold themselves to that kind of a standard, and it's always refreshing to see it because too often we hear the bad stories and all the times that people do try to take advantage of each other. I was even looking at some of the different types of fraud that are out there and they're just every aspect of a person's life could be affected by fraud. I mean, phishing, like creating fake websites is a big one, but there's 
that Nigerian prince scam that, <laughs> right. that's actually been around since the 1920s. Wow. And it, and it actually uh, used to be called the Spanish prisoner scam. Oh. So I guess theoretically I'm a Spanish prisoner. I, I can't get out for a while, so here's some money that I want to send to you, I guess. Uh, but it's, all these scams have been around in different variations for a really long time. Since the beginning of our existence, we've been finding ways to try to rob each other and, and do ill toward each other. Uh, lottery scams, telling someone that they won the lottery when really they didn't, uh, taking advantage of people's uh, hopes to have dream vacations and all the cars they could ever desire for the rest of their lives. So people click on these lottery scams, uh, advance fees for a loan or a credit card, uh, turning your computer into a money-making machine by putting this, like, uh, I don't know, this page-click system on there, uh, make-money-fast chain emails. So like you say... Uh, if you just pay $5 to this person at the top of this list uh, and then put your name at the bottom of the list, when, when your name finally comes around, you'll be making thousands. It uh, doesn't really work that way because the scammer makes it so that his name is always at the top of the list. I mean, there's always these types of scams everywhere um, that that really do hurt a lot of people. Disaster relief fraud. Yeah. Even even at times when people lose everything and they lose loved ones, there are scammers there waiting to take advantage of situations like that. And so like this booklet says, what a different society would be when actually people do care about each other again. Right. As you pointed out earlier, you know, there's all these laws that have to be written to try to, you know, keep up with the latest fraud or the latest stealing or the latest whatever. And and if people kept the law of God, you wouldn't have that. Even just shifting to another topic a little bit, but in the same same vein, they I saw a story a while ago about illegal drugs that will be on the street, and the they have to keep writing like new law to make them illegal because all of a sudden it's a new drug they've never seen before. So they have to have a specific law, and and so the there's always this little bit of this window where what they're doing is technically not illegal because they've never seen the the narcotic before. So they have to keep making a new law, and so the criminals are a step ahead saying, well, let's just make something a little different. Even though it's a clear violation of the spirit of the law, it's not breaking the letter of the law yet. So the laws just have to keep being written and written and written. And it's the same with these scams, you know. A new scam shows up, so you've got to somehow make it illegal and mm -hmm. change change the laws on some level or warn people about them. So that's amazing. I didn't know that that Nigerian prince thing had been around so long. Yeah, in different in different variations for about a hundred years. It's just crazy that uh, it, it doesn't matter what it is. We might think it's a new development that came along with the computers, and yet it's been a, it's been around for a really long time. That's just that's just how human nature is always looking to take advantage like that. And, uh, and that's just something that we have to realize that people aren't out there always looking for out for our best interests, uh, except for that person who turned in your credit card, thankfully. Yeah. Some people really, they really do try to hold to that, which is great. Um, but you know, too, uh, I think one thing that makes humans vulnerable to scams is just the coveting. Oh, I can get money. I can get something for nothing. I can, you know. And there's, there's, there. That's why they were appealing in some cases, and uh, you know. And so, just a good, a good, uh, I guess, safety uh, to think about is, you know, if something seems too good to be true, like they always say, you should probably look into it. I, I've gotten different things before where I thought, well, that just seems odd. I don't know. This just doesn't seem right to me. So I'll, I'll Google like, is there a whatever type of scam and then lo and behold sure enough there is i got one the other day from 
from a company where it was it's an actual company and but they were asking for some stuff that they should that shouldn't need from me and I thought well that's odd and sure enough you know they just kind of photoshop in like the whole actual web page that you'd see at the company's uh, website but then they've changed a few links and click on this and do that so if it looks too good to be true or it just seems odd uh be like the seniors in this case, the senior citizens, and maybe don't believe it. Yeah, that's the real challenge with a lot of these scams. They present something that is just incredible. Like the the what they're saying is basically you could start making millions of dollars, or you'll be set for life if you just get in on this investment opportunity, or if you agree to uh, take this vacation. It's it's only available right now, but if you if you buy it right now, you'll get this huge discount. Uh, it's like, well, why can't I call you back in a couple days and get the same discount? Why is it so urgent that I have to agree to it before the end of this phone call? You know, things like that. Uh, those are scams, uh, and they make it to where your ability to judge it is clouded. You, you, you get carried away in all of your different imaginations and thoughts, and, and you don't realize that, oh, well, the, this split second where I made this bad decision could actually affect me for life in a bad way, not in a good way like they, they offer. Right, and and that also plays on our sort of lack of patience. Like, oh, i got to do it right now. Can't wait. It has to happen now. So lots of scams out there. It's unfortunate, thankfully, there will be a time when there won't be any of that. And just think about how much time and money and effort will be just saved, not only from the people that got taken advantage of, but then all the people that have to be employed to track it down and try to verify things and try to get you know money back and, and things like that i mean that would free up a lot of jobs a lot of manpower to go do something practical yeah and like you said with the way that the laws are now where they have to be extremely specific about every drug or whatever the the case might be why not just abide by what the ten commandments say where the ten commandments doesn't condone any type of drug if you consider the the physical and the spiritual the, the letter and the spirit of the law when it comes to the Ten Commandments, you could literally just say no drugs at all, and all these lawmakers wouldn't have to spend all this time writing these specific laws. Uh, the police wouldn't have to look into the rule book to figure out uh, which drugs are fine at this time and which ones aren't. You could just know that, oh, this is a substance that is, is altering people's minds and will outlaw it. It's really that simple, uh, and yet our, our way of the, doing the law is is so technical, so minute that no one actually even knows what all the laws are. That's a big problem, too. Uh, you could be doing something illegal right now and not even realize it because there's just tens of thousands, millions of different laws out there. You know what a fun mental exercise is, uh, at least for me sometimes? If you're mowing the lawn, you know, and you just kind of got to think about something, it's to think about a situation like, say, drugs, and then think about how how God's law would deal with it. Like, why would it be wrong? And you can, it always hits several laws. Like, first of all, you know, no gods before the true God. Well, if you're addicted to a substance, you're clearly, you're putting it ahead of God. I mean, so right there, you know, yeah. you shouldn't do it. Uh, and then, you know, obviously it leads to all other sorts of problems, stealing, lying, covetousness, et cetera, et cetera. And it's interesting just to try to think about how God's law does hit Almost well, literally anything you can think of. Either it's it's good and you should, or it's bad and you shouldn't. Yeah, the principles of uh, doing good things uh, to your neighbor versus bad things to your neighbor. I mean that that's all covered in the last six of those commandments, and then the the ways that you interact with God are all covered in the first four of the commandments. So every possible scenario, like you said, is in there if we just have 
the humility and even just the wherewithal to think it through each situation uh the ten commandments covers it yep I mean, if you've got an hour on the lawnmower i mean you got to do something <laughs> that's good that's a good way to do it <laughs> actually think about something yeah uh here's another uh, headline today this is from the financial times also a little bit from politico about this topic merkel wins backing for grand coalition in germany I'm sure there'll be a lot more about this on the trumpet.com, and I'm sure Richard Palmer will have a lot more to say. He really keeps his eye on all that over there. Uh, Angela Merkel is heading for her fourth term as chancellor of Germany after two-thirds of rank-and-file members of the Social Democrat Party, uh, Democratic Party voted in favor of a grand coalition with the veteran leader's conservative bloc. The vote ends five months of political stalemate and government drift in Berlin and could help restore Germany's leadership role in Europe at a time of mounting political challenges, including a looming trade war with the U.S., rising tension over Brexit, and French demands for an overhaul of the Eurozone. The result of the SPD referendum announced early on Sunday showed that 239,604 members voted in favor of a new alliance with the center-right. 123,329 voted against. The turnout was 78%. As political points out, uh, both parties still took a beating in September's elections, so this is... Uh, it's not great news, but it's a it's an agreement for now. But Merkel is definitely weakened, and I think everyone thinks she is going to be done after this term if she makes it to the end of the term. Yeah, and it's actually um, pretty staggering to think about Angela Merkel's history. She's been in office for something like 13 or 14 years at least. And even back in 2010, people were saying that she was going to be a lame duck leader and that she was getting weakened. And she's only gotten weaker and weaker from that time uh, up to now. Uh that's just that's just uh, the state of her government, how she's continually had to rely on coalitions more and more to even be able to stay in power. Uh, that's not something that we do over here in America. We don't have parties combining to take power like that, so it's a little bit harder for us to relate to. But basically, her party doesn't have enough support. It doesn't have the majority of the nation's support, and so she has to combine all these different parties, some of them uh, that are diametrically opposite uh, to hers in a lot of those different uh, policy positions. Yeah, I think if she, if she stays in for a little bit here anyway, she'll overtake, I think, uh, uh, well, she'll be the longest-serving chancellor, So uh, at least in, in recent times, maybe ever. I'm not totally sure on that. But anyway, she'll have had a very long run. And it does, it does I think, just kind of feel like um, – She's about ready to be done, even personally. And I think everyone, I don't, you know, I don't think anyone's mad at her necessarily. They don't think they don't like some of the policies, but I think they f- feel like we just need new leadership here. And uh, so it'd be interesting to see how that happens. Of course, if you, if you, you know, you know, Bible prophecy, when it talks about there, it talks about a strong man coming in and he comes in by flatteries. You know, he doesn't come in apparently by, you know, these types of uh, votes and that type of thing in elections. So uh, when they talk about, well, she'll serve out a term maybe or do this or do that, uh, you don't know. I mean, the Bible says this new leader comes in with flatteries. So uh, how exactly is that going to happen? That'll be fascinating to watch. Angela Merkel's been a survivor for so long. She's basically found a way to use the system in her to her advantage to where uh, different parties will combine with hers, like I said. Uh, But she's surviving the voting process and like you brought up what if someone comes in who doesn't care about the voting process or doesn't come in to power by the voting process she's good at using the political system as it is right now and at some point that political system is going to have to change something's going to take place that's going to make germany feel a lot more urgent 
about dealing with its problems, and that's how that strongman is going to be able to take power outside of the elections. Yeah, there was uh, even they're, they're talking in one of the write-ups I looked at about some of the challenges that Europe is facing, and you know, there's this threatening tra- threatened trade war with the U.S. They talked about China trying to kind of take over some things, and then also just. Um, uh, well, just immigration problems. There's a lot of issues. And then, of course, the Eurozone, how is that going to form? There's a lot of really big issues that have to be dealt with, and they need strong leadership to deal with it. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Merkel's coalition can uh, address some of those. I would tend to think not, but but we'll see. Yeah, it seems like Europe is just on the verge of completely fracturing. And so it's not just Germany that needs a strong leader. It's everyone. If If Germany, the strongest nation in all of Europe, needs help, like it does right now than really the entire continent does and who better to take lead over the entire continent than a strong man and a decisive leader someone who's going to face the problems head on and not play politics about it uh, politics are usually for good times when people don't necessarily uh, care too much they're not they're not too agitated by what's going on but a lot of people in a lot of different nations around the world are willing to turn over their their liberties, a lot of their sovereignty, if it means security and strength, and and that strong man will be able to provide those those things too. Yeah, they, they were talking in one of the write ups about how the German people really like stability and they like things kind of being normal, and they don't like too much rocking the boat. And even with Merkel still in power and those the coalition there, it's still not it, it's steady in a way because it's what they've known, but they know it can't last that much longer. So I would think there's going to be a little bit of uneasiness there, too. Like, can we get the next guy in here that can lead us for a time? Uh, and, and so it'll be interesting to watch just the German people and how they feel about it, too. It does feel like she's just been kind of a bridge leader, like she's a bridge toward the actual solution. Uh, and it's just like the German people can't figure out through the elections what option could be better than her right now. Uh, but they know that they want someone who is better than her. They just haven't necessarily found that person yet. Yeah, and she's been great for, I think, kind of giving them this more gentle image of the German nation and, and more of just this modern image. And she's not a intimidating individual. No offense, Miss Merkel. <laughs> but, you know, she's not an intimidating figure. And so uh, she's been good to get them to where they're, they are today, where the world doesn't right now for some reason look at them like the warmongering nation that they've been and uh and so it's very interesting to see just uh you know she's obviously fulfilling her her job to a point but then there comes a time where you do need somebody else in there and they're going to need that and it's amazing too in all these write-ups they talk about how i mean unequivocally just an absolute fact that germany is the most important nation in europe and it's the strongest nation and berlin is the government you know that is the most important it's just it's just fact nobody even questions it go back to world war ii when they were in ruins and herbert armstrong was saying they're going to rise again go back and read that and he was right and now people just oh yeah germany most important nation no questions asked they've done it so stealthily uh, and through a lot of diplomacy and a lot of backroom deals and through even just the euro having a common currency for the entire continent pretty much uh that's been a way to nearly enslave some of these other nations to germany uh and eventually uh, they're going to take on full military responsibility they're they're already starting to do that slowly but they've they've realized that if you do things over time and you do them gradually people aren't going to pay enough attention to it it's not like 
uh, the next Hitler took took office overnight. It's they're doing it over the course of seventy years, uh, and people just don't really pay close enough attention to it unless it is a sudden change. Uh, like I said, basically overnight. Yeah, and we're so uh, kind of devoid of uh, historical understanding in in the U.S. today that you can't imagine the college classes nowadays paying any attention to Germany or the history of Germany because they're so forward thinking but in a negative way to where they they think like the past doesn't matter anymore and we're just going on to some sort of utopia civil utopian civilization and uh but if they looked historically the things that they're thinking about now they haven't worked in the past whether it's here in the US or letting Germany be the strong leader in Europe if you had some historical understanding you'd know that it's a disaster waiting to happen and it goes back a lot further in history than Adolf Hitler. It goes back thousands of years even just to the the ancient ancestors of the German people today. Uh, they've always been war making. And so it's not like we're just drawing on one world war or two world wars. It's throughout all of history as a people, they have responded well to a strong leader and they've been very willing to uh, be an aggressor when it comes to war. It's not saying that the German people is is bad. Uh, they're not a bad people, but these are just some traits that have played out throughout history. Um, certain nations are just a little bit more willing to engage in warfare and to assert themselves that way than others. Yeah, there's a great new Key David program coming up this weekend that talks about a lot of that, so check that out this weekend. Trumpet.com today, the top story is from Trumpet Daily Radio Show host Stephen Fleury, and it is titled, The King of Debt. America has embarked Braced, reckless spending, and no longer even pretends it will repay what it owes. What could go wrong? <laughs> Seems fine. Carry on. He says America has reached a new level of debt addiction. On February 9th, President Donald Trump signed into law the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018. On February 12th, he unveiled his own budget proposal for the financial year ending in 2019. According to the Office of Management and Budget, these proposals will see the U.S. borrow $833 billion in 2018, equivalent to 4.2% of America's gross domestic product. It forecasts that America's debt will near $21.5 trillion by the end of the year. <laughs> America is going into debt at an unprecedented rate, but what is even more alarming is that its leadership does not acknowledge that this is even a problem. It was hard to wrap our minds around borrowing a trillion dollars to stave off the 2018 financial crisis. You remember that, of course. But now the Treasury forecasts that the United States will be borrowing nearly a trillion dollars every year from now on. Can you imagine that? <laughs> it seems like almost yesterday that we were hearing of our government borrowing $400 trillion or even dare we say having a balanced budget uh that's we're far from that now uh, and it's almost like it just took place in a matter of a couple of presidential administrations uh just this way of thinking that well we can go into debt now to pay for this war or to pay off uh this financial crisis whatever it might be and somehow we'll be fine uh but the thing is no one has ever really given a solution for paying it back it's just borrow 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 Never pay it back. Hope that the nations that are crediting us uh, will not ask for that money back. It's amazing to think about how much money this is. Fox Business uh, has this write-up to give us some perspective. How much is a trillion dollars, anyway? By the way, we owe, like, what, $21 trillion or It's going to be that. <laughs> what can a trillion dollars buy? It says, first, let's put a trillion dollars in perspective. 
A stack of a trillion $1 bills would go almost one quarter of the way to the moon and weigh approximately 10 tons. Assuming you live, and listen to this, assuming you live 50 more years, you could spend over $54 million every day of your life and still leave a few grand in the bank for the kids. If somebody gave you a trillion dollars right now, and said, okay, for the next 50 years, you gotta, you got to spend this. You're going to have to spend $54 million a day. Can you, <laughs> how would you even do it? <laughs> There's simply no way. I love I love what this article says about buying all the sports leagues. That's something that you could do. Uh, that's something that would be nice for both of us to do probably. We could change a lot of things we don't like. But it would be easy. You, you could just buy any of this stuff, and it would it would be absolutely nothing. Uh, and yet, this is just talking about one trillion dollars, not twenty-one and a half trillion. Uh, something that could never possibly be paid back because that's, again, that's going to be like what five hundred trillion a day at least, maybe maybe a billion dollars a day that we'd have to be paying back. It just in interest sometimes. Uh, say what, like you said, what can you do with a trillion dollars if you personally had a trillion dollars? As I mentioned, you could buy every sports league. Not not te- not just a couple of teams. Every league, every billionaire seems to desire a sports team. However, as a trillionaire, you can buy them all. You could buy every NFL team. You could buy every NBA team. You could buy NASCAR. You could buy NHL, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball. You could buy it all, and you'd still have well over three quarters of your fortune left. <laughs> you could buy every sports league and just run it. You'd be the, the commissioner of everything. If you want to put people through college, let's say you're just a nice guy, you want to give out some money, uh, why think small? With $1 trillion, they say, and an average cost of a little, little over 30000 annually for private colleges, you could put 8.3, uh, 8.33 million people through all four years of college. Then as you go on a college tour to be thanked, <laughs> they'd uh, throw you some parties, they say. <laughs> you want to pay off all existing student debt instead? I can't do that. Because that's more than a trillion dollars. <laughs> There's more than a trillion dollars of student debt out there. But when you start thinking about what this money actually means, and if you had it personally, I mean, you couldn't even hardly spend it all. And yet we're, this nation is just spending and spending and spending to the tune of you know, going to be $21 trillion in debt. And the obvious point is that so much of what our government spends money on is completely useless or unnecessary. A lot of educational programs that indoctrinate our kids at a very early age about uh, different sexual preferences and things like that and then you have transgenders in the military having to get their their surgeries taken care of on the government dime right now and if the if the the military doesn't comply with what president trump said about that Uh, just a lot of things like that um even even in terms of immigration President Trump had to make a lot of compromises with the Democrats, even in this last budget, so that he could pass it. So, so much spending uh, that is completely irrelevant. That's why the spending's gone up so much. It's not like we need a million times more things than we used to. It's just that people are spending things on a lot of basically, I guess, um, extra benefits, the welfare state, uh, things that might seem nice but are not not necessary at all. You know, and it's uh, there's a great point that's brought out in uh, the Bible in Luke 16, 10 through 12, where it, if you want to break this down to, say, a personal financial level, and it, and it says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. reason I bring that up is because n- none of us have a trillion dollars or are dealing with that type of budget, 
But we do have personal finances. We have personal budgets to deal with. And God makes a point or Christ makes a point here that, you know, okay, well, you got a little bit now. What can you do with it? Can you prove yourself faithful in it? Um, because he wants to give us a lot more. A trillion dollars is nothing to God. He owns everything. He owns the universe. Doesn't <laughs> doesn't make no difference. But but for us, we don't have that today. I mean, you know, if somebody gave me a trillion dollars, I probably wouldn't be. I probably would go buy all the sports leagues, you know, and then be like, <laughs> "What did you do with your money?" You know, well, blew it. So I don't have that today. Most people don't. But that, this is why it's important to think about just even in terms of personal finance because. It is a test today. What are we going to do with what we've been given, whether it's money or anything else? Because God's, God wants to see what kind of type of character we'll build, and we have to have better character than what the United States has as a whole when it comes to finances. Well, the reality is that God wants to trust us with uh, maybe the finances of a nation or of an entire planet somewhere out there in the future. So what are we doing in our personal finances now? If we ran a nation or a planet the same way that we ran our personal finances, would we be any better off than the U.S. is right now? Or would we be going down that black hole of debt too? Yeah. I mean, because if you look at the individual finances in the nation, just the averages, I mean, it's a massive amount of debt as well, you know, on on the personal scale. And, you know, so uh, we have a write-up here that uh, uh, it's from a website, My Money Coach, and uh, it's just seven tips on how to curb overspending. And I thought that'd be kind of good to look at because that is one of the big issues we have here in the West. It's not a lack of money. It's overspending ends up being the big problem. And uh, so I have a couple of, or seven, I guess, points here that I think could be good, might be worth thinking about. So we'll look at those briefly. They say, if you want to slow down on your spending, you should uh, understand your spending triggers. That's a, we hear that, right? You've been triggered. <laughs> I've been triggered. You could be triggered by a sale <laughs> or anything. But they say, you pay attention to it. When do you spend money? What what time of day is it? What environment are you in? What mood are you in? Those types of things, because oftentimes we can get kind of caught up into, maybe we have a particular hobby or we have a particular thing that we're interested in and we end up putting more money there than we should. Yeah, it is pretty easy to get impulsive about buying things. And we probably wouldn't think about time of day or who who our friends are or if we're happy or sad or uh, you know, if if different friends have more money than us and are doing certain things we feel like we have to keep up with them those are all different factors that could pressure us into buying things um and hopefully uh, we have the willpower to resist and realize that making a snap judgment like that could be really costly yeah and and also within that first point of just our spending triggers is our lifestyle too i mean you know it's easy to want to live live above uh what we, maybe we should they say another thing you can do to to curb your spending is uh, to track it that's a really interesting thing. I've done that at times, and um, sometimes it's kind of, uh, I don't know, hard. it's hard to do in the sense that you hate to look at it and say, oh, man, uh, you know. <laughs> Again, and, you know, if, if you're spending a fair bit, or even if it's not a lot of money, but it's incrementally a bit here and there, you know, it just takes time even to sit there and go, I spent, you know, $3 on this and $4 on this. But it does really show you where your money goes. Yeah, I've done that pretty much, pretty much every day. I look at this Word document that has all of – my budget there, but also it has like discretionary spending. So everything I spend that's beyond bills, stuff that I don't really need to buy, but that I buy anyway. Uh, and just having it all written down there as a record makes sure that I'm not, that I'm not spending more than I should, because then you look back and you're like, wow, that's a lot of money that I could have put towards something more useful. And it's all right there in front of you. It's almost like condemning evidence that we didn't do well enough with our money. Yeah, if you can cut down as little as $4 a day, that's about 100 bucks a month. 
you know, we don't think much of $4 a day, but we would think more about $100 going out of our pocket. They say a third thing you can do to curb spending is to stick to cash and stop relying on credit cards. This is uh, really uh, a challenge, but it's uh, it's a good one to take. Uh, it is much easier to spend money on a credit card than it is to pull the cash out of your pocket because you see it dwindling and you're like, eh, but if I spend it on this, then I don't have it for this. Just even psychologically, there's a difference when we use the, the cash to a credit card. And a lot of people do a good job with just saying, okay, this is how much cash I have for the week. When it's gone, it's gone. And that's all there is to it. But with the credit card, you can always kind of fudge it a little. And then before you know it, you got a bit of a balance. Yeah. And also, you don't have to keep track in your head uh, how much money that you've spent. Like if you're out at the mall or, or something like that, if you have a finite amount of cash in your wallet, that's really all you have. Even if you only have a debit card, though, it's easier to maybe miscalculate mis- uh, the, mat- the math on that and spend a couple hundred when you only meant to spend a hundred uh, just because you're there. It's a fun environment. Uh, you're at a lot of stores that you might like, and you could go overboard a little bit. You know what a pet peeve of mine is with cash? And this is a lost art form today. But I was growing up, I was always taught the way you have your money is your biggest bills on the bottom, and then it goes to the smallest bills on the top. They're all facing the right direction, and mm-hmm. they're all the right side up. Yes. And they're all, they're not crumpled and crinkled. And I'll go to a store, and if I pay with cash, first of all, they're stunned by what's happening. But then the the person working there usually like hands me this wad of, you know, and they're going the wrong way and they're crinkled and somebody doodled on one of the president. And I'm just like, <laughs> what is this mass you've given me? It should be, you know, just the lost art of even dealing with the physical money. It's you see, I've seen it at the store all the time. Yeah, I was joking with my brother the other day. He handed me five $1 bills, but they were facing different directions or they were flipped around. I was like, Micah, could you just have a little bit of class? Could you just give it to me in the right direction? And it was just a, it was just kind of a, a funny joke. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't lecturing yeah. him or anything, but it was, it, it is true. It's, it's easy to just, uh, maybe just toss it, toss a handful of bills in the air and, and make the other person pick it up almost. Yeah. Well, the reason it's, it's irritating to have it that way is that you can't quickly see how much you have. You want to be able to open your wallet mm-hmm. and quickly gauge your money instead of having them all go in different directions. They say another point is, as you mentioned, forget your credit cards. Just leave them at home <laughs> or get rid of them because if you take a certain amount of cash, that's all you can spend and you can't go over. They say it's good to set short-term financial goals, uh, something attainable because sometimes maybe it's a really big goal that you're looking at and it can get demoralizing. So if you set some smaller-term ones that you can um, attain more quickly, then it can build a positive effect. Yeah, and it's actually really motivating to just write down, like, by May, I want to have this much money saved for this specific purpose. Um, I did that recently just with, like, four or five bullet points. Uh, And... It is almost like a game at that point. You're trying to beat the buzzer. You're trying to get all that money accumulated before your deadline hits. Uh, And so that is a really good way to go about it. They say learn how to budget money, which is so key uh, because it's easy to just kind of spend it all and not have a budget there. And then finally, uh, give every dollar a job. That sometimes helps people where you say, well, it's not just 20 bucks. This 20 bucks has a job. Sometimes they refer to it as you know making it work for you. Mm-hmm. Like this is I'm the boss here. This is going to do a job for me, and try to assign it that way. So uh, with all these things, it takes uh, it takes um, some responsibility. It takes some character, <laughs> and it takes some self denial. And mm-hmm. those are hard things to do. Yeah, these points are really uh, really helpful to to apply. I think within the, like the last year, I've applied these points uh, without even I didn't have this article here, but but just reading through it, I realized that. 
yeah, th- these things do help a lot. And it's amazing how fast your financial situation can change if you just start following the financial laws that are there. The information's out there. We just have to put it into practice. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is if you, if you go and say you watch a couple of videos or something or you read some, some stories about people who, who have really tried to get their finances in order and not spend as much, they, they're happier people. Like they're actually enjoying life and they're feeling a lot freer than they ever did before. Yeah, that that's kind of uh, what had to happen with me. I always just thought, man, I just have no money. <laughs> I just All the money goes bye-bye, and I don't really know why. Uh, so finally you, I just had to confront that and figure that out. And it's it's nice to not be behind on anything or to to be lacking in savings. You, you just always know that a certain amount of money is going here, a certain amount is going there. You have it all spent on paper before you spend it in actuality. Uh, and it makes a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. So those are some points that might be helpful for you. Make sure you check out that uh, top story at thetrumpet.com today about uh, the king of debt. We do not want to be that. It's good to be king, but not the king of debt. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live, the Kia David program, and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show coming up in just a bit. Make sure you listen for those. For uh, Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.